Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbert. And I'm Courtney Bronze. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. Well, from time to time here on the show, we like to bring you up to date on current conservation news happening at a local or state or sometimes even a federal level. On today's show, we're discussing some invasive plants that are now illegal to sell or grow right here in Pennsylvania. So back on October 6th, 2021, Japanese barberry, Japanese stillgrass, and garlic mustard were added to the list of plants that are legal to propagate or sell right here in Pennsylvania. Both sterile and non-sterile varieties are banned until the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture develops a process for applying for a license to sell the sterile varieties. So first we want to talk about Japanese barberry. So yeah, this is probably the most notable addition to the list. Um, It's a very popular nursery and landscaping plant. You see it all over in like landscaping designs. Um, It was first imported to the United States back in 1875, and it was historically used for living fences to keep livestock in, and some people even used it as like an herbal medicine, but now it's primarily used as an ornamental hedge plant. It's compact and it rarely exceeds four feet in height. So when the branches of this plant droop and touch the ground, roots will actually develop. And this kind of creates a layering effect and makes the bushes really wide. And in the spring, it'll flower with clusters of like a creamy yellow color flower with six petals. And Japanese barberry spreads by both seed and vegetative means. So birds and mammals will eat the seeds from the fruit of the plant in the summer and then disperse the seeds through their droppings. Or like I said, if a branch with roots touches the ground, um, it can create a whole new plant. And this plant can colonize most sites, displacing a lot of native species. If enough of the individuals colonize an area, it can actually also alter the pH of the soil. So that makes it even harder for native species to grow and establish. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but um, so it also provides a, I guess you could call it a good habitat, maybe not, but uh, for ticks, um, just because of the humidity level underneath the shrub itself. Um, and also, so it lends itself to berries every year, which mice feed on. We actually talked about mice last week, uh, but mice will come in, they'll feed on those berries, um, carry ticks with them, you know, the ticks go through their life cycle right there on the shrub Um, so not great uh, in that circumstance either Uh, the next one we want to talk about was Japanese stillgrass so Japanese stillgrass is actually a widespread invader of the woodlands it came from packing material uh, imported from China Uh, they used it when they packed porcelain so and that's how it got here Uh, so it's an annual grass that germinates in the spring and then it dies back in the fall. Stems of Japanese stillgrass form a dense tangled mat, and that tends to be around one to two feet high. And the plant has a long lance-shaped leaf, uh, and that averages between one and three inches in length. In the late summer, a three-branch flower spike emerges, and that's what's carrying the small seeds. So Japanese stillgrass spreads exclusively by the seed, and each plant produces roughly around a thousand seeds each year and the seeds are small and can be easily spread Uh, often it'll arrive in a new area 
on contaminated surfaces such as vehicles. Uh, the seeds can also be easily dispersed by water, so um, you'll see it in roadside ditches or streams or wetlands. And the seeds can also be transported by equipment. Um, so you think of things like logging operations. Uh, and then once those seeds are in the soil, they can remain viable for five years. Um, the problem is thick mats of Japanese stiltgrats create a monoculture and they really choke out the other native species. So the last one we're going to talk about is garlic mustard. Um, I've heard it called a lot of different names such as hedge garlic, um, jack by the hedge, um, poor man's mustard, garlic root, garlic wart, mustard root. So a lot of different names for it. But it originally came from Europe and Asia and it's become a very troublesome invasive plant across the northeast, midwest, and northwest of the U.S. It was originally introduced to North America in the mid-1800s for its herbal and medicinal qualities, as well as used for erosion control. And it can also be used in culinary dishes, but it has a tendency to spread pretty rapidly when it's planted. And this plant spreads its seeds in the wind, and it gains a foothold in fields and forests by emerging earlier in spring than many native plants. So by the time native species are ready to grow, Garlic mustards blocked their sunlight and outcompeted them for moisture and nutrients. And to add to the problem, garlic mustard's roots release chemicals that alter the underground network of fungus that connects nutrients between native plants. So it inhibits the growth of a lot of important species like trees. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, through this talk, um, you've learned a little bit about these invasive plants and also recognize the fact that you know, that's the real reason why we don't want them in the forest or in our backyards. Um, they really outcompete for the natives uh, and they reduce uh, the ecosystem, and, uh, which is an important function um, for, you know, healthy soil, uh, healthy air, um, healthy water. So keep these invasives out of our area. Uh, we did want to mention one more thing. That'd be the life jacket law. So, uh, Fish and Boat Commission want to remind everybody at the beginning of November, November 1st actually, all the way to April 30th, uh, they have a mandatory life jacket requirement. So if you're on a boat less than 16 feet in length or any canoe or kayak, uh, you have to be wearing some type of life jacket. The Fish and Boat Commission states that when a person is unexpectedly plunged into cold water below 70 degrees Fahrenheit, the body's first response is usually an involuntary gasp. So without a life jacket, a victim may inhale while underwater and drown without coming back to the surface. If an individual does make it back to the surface, his ability to swim is usually restricted because of the shortness of breath or hypoventilation. So a good note to make there, uh, make sure you're going to be out enjoying the water, uh, use that life vest. So we do have a couple of events for you. Um, first one is Salt Springs State Park. It's this Saturday, November 6th from 9 to 11.30 a.m. And join Jim Kessler as he discusses how deer affect Pennsylvania forests and the Cornell AVID project at Salt Springs State Park. He'll discuss clues you can use to determine the degree to which deer are affecting a particular forest and how AVID, a citizen science method to assess vegetation impact from deer, is being used in salt springs, and how you can even use it in your own woods. 
If you'd like to participate, you can meet at the Friends parking lot on Buckley Road, and the fee is just a free will donation. Alright, then one more event coming up at Salt Springs, and that's the Full Moon Hike. That's Tuesday, November 19th at 6.30. They mentioned that you should be bringing your own flashlights to explore Salt Springs State Park in the dark. Um, Hopefully they have the full moon, uh, no clouds. Um, But if the full moon is out, it'll definitely shed some new light on the hiking experience. At the end of the evening, there'll be a campfire. You can share snacks and stories. So bring a snack to share, a flashlight, and adventurous spirit. They mentioned that there is a fee. It's $5 per person, $15 for a family, and Friends of Salt Springs State Park members are free. Uh, We also want to note that we mentioned it last week. We're planning a question and answer show for December. So if you have any questions or topics that you would like to discuss, please let us know. You can call the Conservation District at 570-782-2105 or you can definitely email those questions to soil at suscondistrict.org that's s-o-i-l at s-u-s-c-o-n-d-i-s-t-r-i-c-t dot org well i guess that does it for today's show if you missed a portion of today's show you can go to our website www.suscondistrict.org and find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes, links to information about past episodes, and a contact form where you can reach out and ask questions or make comments about the show. You have been listening to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Courtney Bronze. And I'm Don Hibbert saying, enjoy the outdoors.